everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of our Top of Mind podcast. In this program, we will sit down with a higher education thought leader to discuss the cybersecurity implications of COVID-19. I'm your host, Caitlin Elkani from the Tambellini Group. We'll be hearing today from Helen Patton, who serves as the AVP and Chief Information Security Officer at The Ohio State University. Helen will be sharing her thoughts on cybersecurity implications of COVID-19 and how The Ohio State University has responded. Welcome to the show, Helen. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today, but before we get started, can you tell us more about yourself and your role? Sure. So I've been swimming in security waters for a couple of decades now. I've spent most of my career actually in the private sector and prior to coming to Ohio State, I spent about 10 years at a Wall Street bank. I've now been at Ohio State for almost seven years, which always surprises me because I thought I, it would be like a three-year gig, but I'm, so, I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, my role at Ohio State um, is certainly to, to manage the security program and the security services that my organization offers to the university. I'm also responsible for privacy and disaster recovery and digital accessibility. So really my role is starting to morph into more um, sort of a, a digital trust kind of role uh, operationally within the university, which is really exciting. It's a, it's a very interesting space to be in. That is very interesting. And it's been fascinating to see how security has been evolving over the past few years and as more organizations really realize how important it is to, to your point, to business continuity, to really thinking about overarching risk at all sure. organizations, including in higher ed. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Helen, how has COVID-19 impacted Ohio State? If I confine my comments to sort of the technology security sides of things, I actually don't think it's changed a lot. Uh, You know, prior to COVID happening, we already had a significant portion of the organization who were working, I would say remotely, maybe not from home, but certainly remotely. They were on site at research locations. They were working in um, networks that were very distributed. um, And, even prior to COVID, very typically for higher ed, we have a lot of um, different kinds of technology, different different kinds of configurations. Um, certainly, it's it has been a change in terms of the volume of people who are simultaneously w- working remotely. But from a technology solutions perspective, um, not so much. Now, we certainly had to scramble in the beginning to make sure that our IT processes and our security processes could adjust to having so many people remote and particularly our own teams remotely. Uh, There was definitely a reliance on being able to look eyeball to eyeball with people. Um, But it it really was a continuation of a trend we were already seeing. It wasn't that this was some brand new 
thing that we had never considered before. So for example, with my team, my personal team, we were already in a habit of having the team work from home a couple of days a week. Mm -hmm. um, now, it's certainly not the same thing to say, stay home for a month and don't see anybody physically or two months or three months or however long it's been now. Um, but, fr but from a work process, work technology kind of perspective, we were already on that path. Um, so it's, it's been interesting. I think that the past few months for me have been really about helping other people accommodate and acclimatize to the change, not so much for my own individual teams. That's, that's really interesting that you haven't seen too much upheaval within your own team. Have there been any specific cybersecurity challenges you have had to overcome with COVID-19? Nothing that's particularly new. Um, I think the challenge, probably the most impactful challenge to my team is within my operations team uh, that does incident response. There, there is certainly some ease being able to walk to somebody's desk and pick up their machine if there's a potential compromise and, and physically isolate a machine. It's much harder to get that same machine if now they're working, the, the individual is working from home and We've MacGyvered our processes, so to speak, so that our team um, can show up at somebody's house and they, they do a pizza delivery kind of swap on the front porch of any equipment, um, those kinds of things. But, but uh, apart from that, um, the security challenge, again, I think it's more of things we may have seen in the past. So for example, in a typical university situation, we're very concerned about lateral infection of ransomware, for example, and, you, and you're seeing that you, you may see some news articles right now about some universities getting hit by ransomware. Um, having people work from home actually helps a little bit with lateral transfer because then they're, they're not sitting on the same network segment as they're working, which is great. So distributed IT, yay for you, good job in terms of, of minimizing cross-infection. The flip of it though, is we don't know what you're connected to at home. And mm -hmm. so we've, we do see an increase perhaps in uh, the infection of personal machines. It's certainly super difficult to be able to validate that someone's home network is segmented appropriately. We have to make the assumption that probably the home network is not segmented appropriately. Um, but those things then become very localized to the individual. So I think we've seen actually a reduction in risk in terms of systemic lateral transfer risk. Uh, but perhaps we've we it's it's made it a little bit harder for an individual perhaps who gets infected or or gets attacked to be able to respond appropriately. I've been seeing some really interesting statistics coming out about ransomware right now that mm -hmm. it, it seems to be continually on the rise, and mm -hmm. the messages have shifted to be about COVID nineteen. Sure. Yeah, and, and we've seen it in two directions. Certainly, we're seeing an increase in phishing that are COVID-themed fishes that are hitting the population generally, just as everybody else is seeing. The other thing we have at a research university, of course, is that we have researchers doing COVID research who are being targeted with their uh, with phishing attacks and, and spear phishing attacks and so forth. Um, it's been an interesting space to be in. To be honest, our three-letter agencies have been sending out lots of warnings without a lot of um, actionable items in those warnings. And, and that can be really frustrating from a security perspective. Um, 
but yeah, we, we have a general threat and we have a targeted threat to our researchers. And so we have to be mindful of both of those. Um, fortunately, we've, we have at Ohio State, at least, we, ha we have good partners with our vendors who help us protect our email, who help us, you know, to manage those COVID threats and to monitor those COVID threats. Um, so um, I, I say this without, um, without knowing what I'm getting myself in for, but I, you know, I think at Ohio State so far, we've been able to manage that risk. You made an interesting point about researchers who yeah. are doing COVID research. And in the past, when I've done my own research into cybersecurity trends and policies at higher ed institutions, mm -hmm. there has been this difficulty uh, largely around getting buy-in from all of the faculty. Mm -hmm. for cybersecurity initiatives. Are you mm -hmm. struggling with that? Well, you always struggle with that. In, in any big organization, there's always going to be people who are like, I'm, I'm fine. Why are you bothering? Why are you restricting the way I do things? I'm not a threat. I'm not under attack. Like ignorance is a problem everywhere, right? Um, I think what we've seen in, high, in the research communities of higher ed over the last few years has been a growing awareness of the risks. Certainly the federal government has been inserting into the research contracts uh, from their sponsoring agencies, their expectations of higher security protocols. So the NSF, the NIH, the Department of Defense, Department of Energy and so forth, we are a contractor to those, those federal agencies just like any other private sector would be. And we are subject to the same kind of security requirements in our contracts, in our sponsoring contracts. So I, I think over the last few years that there has been an, an increased awareness by researchers. It's, um, it's not where it needs to be, but we're, we're way better than we were say four or five years ago. And so as we've gone into this COVID period, the researchers who are working on COVID, I think are, are understanding of mm -hmm. the increased scrutiny and risk that they're at. Um, and they're willing to work with us and, and the research compliance teams and so forth to make sure that we, that, that our data is protected because at the end of the day, there is, it's no good us doing research if the, re if the data we're doing our research on has been tampered with or, or, uh, or otherwise. So it's less about availability of systems and it's more about the integrity of the data in the research that we're doing. Um, and now more than ever, there's focus on making sure that data is good. Um, so, you know, there, there's a partnership opportunity between security and the researchers through that lens. It's interesting how the COVID situation has brought up some interesting opportunities that might not have been really capitalized upon before and also brought up challenges. And I'm wondering, as we talk about how everyone now is working from home, have you seen any difficulties with your cybersecurity team working from home? You know, outside of the operational aspect of, of you know, having to get a machine, mm. Do you think that a cybersecurity team just fundamentally can work securely and remotely? I think we can. Um, as, I, as I'd previously mentioned, I think operationally, the, the, technologically, procedurally, it's, it's not a difficult thing. Um, what my team is finding, 
as we've moved through this and and we aren't through it yet so come back and ask me this question in another three or four or five or 18 months or however long we're going to be doing this for um where i've got individuals where their jobs is to do security analytics and they need a lot of brain space and um their work productivity was impacted by hallway hijacks and and you know, unplanned things that happen in the office. Those folks are doing much better working from home. Actually, they can they can they can not get interrupted much more easily mm -hmm. at home than they can in the office, especially in an open floor plan kind of office, right? So, for some of my team, they're like, "Wow, this is actually much better working from mm -hmm. home." I think strategically, the challenge is there is still a disconnect between the security teams and IT teams. Um, there is a disconnect between security teams and business leadership. And when we were side by side in the office, when we were seeing one another regularly, when there was the opportunity for accidental collision in the workplace, those fissures between the two organizations were less obvious because you know, I sat right next, I sat right between my CIO and my deputy CIO physically in the office. And if I heard some rumor that they were thinking about doing some new technology thing, I could walk around the corner and go, hey, I hear you're doing this new technology thing. And they're like, uh-huh. And I'd be like, have you thought about the security implications of that? And they'd go, oh, right. And I could have those conversations. I can't do that from home. One, I don't hear the rumors quite so easily. And two, you can't just have a casual, no risk, no politic conversation with somebody when you've got to schedule a Zoom call to, to get their attention. So I think one of the things we've got to work out is one, how do we make sure that security is still at the table when it comes to strategic planning or ideas, especially right now when IT is trying to run around and be responsive to businesses who don't know what they need yet, right? right. So how do we, how do we, make sure that security is still at the table for those kinds of conversations at the beginning and not just res responding to a new technology that just showed up without them knowing about it. And two, how do we continue to make sure that, that the cultures of security and IT align when everybody's remote? I think that's actually going to be the longer term challenge that we have to, we have to deal with. Helen, can you talk a little bit more about that, this idea of the cultural aspects? What do you mean? I haven't run into a security person yet who has not felt that there is a cultural disconnect between security and IT. And I think it's because we have different responsibilities and we have different mandates. So if you're in the security team, your job, whether it's red team, blue team, purple team, whatever, your job is to try and ensure that the data and the systems that we use are protected and supported and, and reliable and all of that, all of those things. If you're in IT, your job is to provide services to customers that customers want. And customers often don't want security as their primary deliverable. Um, and we, there's nowhere we see this more often than this, the question of sort of networks versus security. When you're a network engineer, your job is to have a big fat network pipe that data moves through. Mm -hmm. That's an antithesis to a security team that needs to 
monitor that data and ensure that it in has integrity as it flows through those network pipes and that the configuration is is reliable and all those kinds of things right so i think over time the the groups have have identified where we've got commonality so certainly it does no good to have a big fat network pipe if it's not available so the availability part of the security triad is an obvious place where we agree apart from that we're actually working off two different playbooks and so culturally we have to be super intentional about how do we make decisions between functionality and security when those two things don't agree and i don't think there's been an organization yet who has solved for that um and um at, in higher ed you add this sort of additional complexity where researchers actually don't see themselves necessarily as employees of the university but more like independent contractors who are in the environment for a while um, super complicated then so so i think these cultural challenges of having different mandates and different ways of measuring success makes it difficult to partner between the two groups and we're getting there but we we've still got a ways to go so what would your advice be for an institution that maybe doesn't have as big of an IT team or security team? Mm. There are lots of institutions that might have just one or two people responsible for security. Mm -hmm. How should they tackle this culturally when, you know, the, the security person might be in seniority much below the CIO? Do you have any mm. thoughts or advice there? Yeah, I think security teams burn out when they assume responsibility for things that aren't really theirs to assume. So um, the other thing that happens when security get people get together as security people is you will hear this common refrain that would say, if IT would just do their job, we wouldn't need a security team. Um, I'm not sure that that's completely fair, but I think there is a grain of truth to it. So for example, if we had really good asset management systems and processes and if we had really good change management processes and those kinds of things which are not security things they're it things if those things are working really well we'd need less security actually so when you're dealing with a situation where you have a small security team uh, actually i think the place for that team to put their focus is not on the tech not on the tech. It's on the training awareness and culture of the people around them. Mm -hmm. And I, where I have seen success in small teams, security teams, is where they have sort of held up a mirror to the IT folks and said, this is what you need to be doing to be good enough for security. And there's always debate about what good enough is, but good enough for security looks like X. Do you have IT processes and ways of managing your IT environment that allow you to be at that level. If you don't, that's your responsibility to fix that. And conversations with senior leadership have to be, that's your responsibility to fix that. The security role then is certainly, you're gonna need an incident response team. You can't get away from that. So incident response processes are really important for security. Almost anything else needs to be around, I think around the cultural aspects of people understanding that they're at risk, people understanding what they, uh, what their responsibilities are to manage that risk. That's where I think the work of the security team needs to be, which I know is not the traditional model of, I come up out of the IT world and I manage everything with a technology solution. To go back to another point you made, Helen, about the CIA triad, I'd love to 
talk a little bit more about that. You wrote a great article on this topic around how COVID-19 would shift the focus from confidentiality. Mm. Can mm. you tell us more, you know, what are your cybersecurity predictions stemming from this crisis? And, and let's talk a little bit more about how you may, might see the, the shift of focus from confidentiality. Yeah, so when I wrote that Medium article, first of all, we were two or three weeks into the event and it was really a reflection of what I was seeing happening in the regulatory space. So most security regulations really aren't security regulations, they're privacy regulations. And the primary privacy control around data is access and it's about confidentiality of the data. So do the people who have access to the data deserve it? Are they the right people? Are they the authorized people and so forth? So whether you're looking at HIPAA data or um, GLBA controls or um, PCI, whatever, most regulations are about protecting the individual's data through access control. Mm -hmm. And when COVID, and they, and they manage that by, um, you know, really looking at physical access controls as the bedrock of the legislation. And so it was really predicated on an assumption that most of what you're doing is on-prem and most of what you're doing is, is a, a physical control. And here we are now all working from home and virtually and remotely. Um, so when COVID happened, even regulators like the OCR overseeing HIPAA um, sort of went, oh, well, we're going to relax your physical requirements and we're going to relax the confidentiality requirements so that we can get stuff done. And I think you see this also playing out as we look at how um, immunizations and and things are being tested too they're like why do we need all this red tape for the you know really we should allow people to have these kinds of this kind of flexibility and only manage for the exceptions rather than making everybody get locked down first as a as a primary goal so i think as we head into the future the the focus of regulators on confidentiality of course will not go away there's going to be a whole different question around privacy that comes up but I don't think it's going to be access control that they're going to focus on. I think their concern now is, is the data good? Do we have integrity in our data? And so that lends itself to, to focus less on access controls mm -hmm. and more on things like configuration management or monitoring or, the, you know, those kinds of controls. And that's where actually... I think we're headed. That's where I would hope we're headed. I might just be hopeful. Um, I think there's been too much focus on confidentiality by our regulators. And, um, and, and so I hope this gives us an opportunity to take a step back and say, is it working? And if it's not working, what's the alternative? Which will head us towards a zero trust model, actually, I think. Well, which would be great. Zero trust is, in theory, it really fascinating it's hard to implement yes absolutely nice idea as are many things in the security world nice idea not so practical um yeah and so um we will see where it goes but but i i do think rather than having a what i meant by that was rather than having a blanket process for access i think we will get more surgical and more targeted mm -hmm. and that leads to a zero trust model of sort of um, uh, authentication and authorization based on context, which we haven't really implemented at this point. 
Helen, before we wrap up today, do you Mm. have any last thoughts for our listeners around things that they should be thinking about to secure their own organizations or messages to send to their teams? Yeah. um, Well, those are two different things. I think from a security perspective, visibility is still the name of the game. So if there is concerns about visibility to assets that are remote, if there are visibility concerns about understanding what people are doing while they're remote, this is a place to consider focusing effort. I think depending on the industry people are in, we there is also sort of a question of, of touchless technology. And so, you know, where in your business processes do people have to touch things? And by touching things too, by the way, I mean, we've got to get away from having to use paper. And there are still plenty of business processes that are paper-based. We still have to deal with faxes. We still have to deal with that kind of, you know, wet signature kind of problem. I think there's an opportunity there to both improve security improve business process and improve technology if we look at those what that sort of touchless environment and so i think there's an opportunity there for the teams themselves um you know i i think partnership is still the place we've got to focus so whether you're a security person or a technologist um we all have a role to play in security and and certainly security has to understand tech and vice versa um but as we're remote, it's harder to be a partner. And I think we need to be intentional about how do we ensure partnership between the two teams is a, is a takeaway for us to consider as we move forward. Thanks so much for your thoughts today, Helen. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. That's the end of this episode of the Tambellini Group's Top of Mind podcast. Join us next month for another discussion around top of mind higher education technology trends. 